Ladies and gentlemen, as you know, we have something special, special, special. Welcome to Resident Advisors Exchange, our series of conversations with the artists, labels and promoters shaping the electronic music landscape. My name is Mark Smith and I'm the tech editor of Resident Advisor. Like his label mates Crust, Ronnie Sires and Sub, DJ Dyer isn't just an essential piece of Bristol music history, he's a key part of the larger story of drum and bass itself. As the 80s turned into the 90s, he saw the sound take form as various DIY cultures intertwined, drawing links between skateboarding, hip-hop, rave, punk, the squat scene and sound system culture. By the end of the decade, he was one of the new sound's crucial producers, building his name with records on V recordings and full cycle that are as highly regarded today as they were nearly 30 years ago. Along with his Bristol collaborators, he was caught up in a whirlwind of global touring as drum and bass became an international concern. But the experience helped foster a vision of music beyond drum and bass, which he's developed most noticeably in recent years on his gutter funk label. In conversation with Joe Muggs, we hear of the melting pot of subcultures that fed into the Bristol scene, and how Dice committed to taking the hard road of working outside his signature sound in order to stay true to a much wider field of influences and instincts. As always, you can find our full archive of exchanges on residentadvisor.net and follow us on SoundCloud at ra-exchange. The exchange with DJ Die is up next. Hello, welcome to Resident Advisor Exchange. I'm Joe Muggs, and in the studio, I'm very excited because it's someone I've raved to many times over the years, uh, DJ Dai. Hi, Dai. Hello, mate. How you doing? Yeah, all right. And we'll go through some of your many achievements. I don't need to rattle them off now, <laughs> but what are you focusing on at the moment? What's your What's your thing? What's, what's what, what are we here to talk about? Um, yeah, I guess, you know, the journey from way back, you know, from the early days moving to Bristol to where I am now. I still live in Bristol. But yeah, it's Gutter Funk. Gutter Funk is my label now. Um, I started it back in 2011 and it was basically a place to have freedom to create what you want to create. You know, people know me for Jungle Drum and Bass, obviously. I've done a lot in that yeah. field. But yeah, um, 2011, I wanted to start a label to, yeah, I mean, just to sort of be able to incorporate more of my influences. And, you know, I've been making Jungle Drum and Bass for a long time. Time to sort of, I want to mess around with some different tempo stuff and styles. So Gutter Funk is my main focus right now. Also working on a project called Watch the Ride. Um, it's a kind, it's a collective of DJs and producers and singers featuring um, myself, Dismantle, Randall, a singer from Manchester whose name is Prima, and um, we've been working with Pokes as well, hosting, and we're just bringing on a new guy, Ems, who's an MC based in Bristol. So yeah, we're um, currently touring, doing shows, and writing music. I think, uh, as anyone with even half a um, nose for this music can tell from that list of names, you are constantly crossing the generations. You know, you are definitely not a heritage artist in any sense, in the way that somehow yeah. people in the drum and bass era have been happy to just roll out the yeah. same thing. I mean, definitely, yeah, I did have that feeling for a while you know um obviously we we came in the scene you know we came in pretty strong came in with v recordings then full cycle started in bristol with myself crust ronnie sub 
obviously V Recordings and Jumping Jack for us, Brian G, they put us on. You know, they were the first guys to really give us the stamp for approval, started playing our tunes, um, giving our tunes out to the London community of DJs through Music House and those places. And um, yeah, we came in rolling out, you know, rolling out <laughs> at 160, 170 BPMs hard. It was a great time for creativity. You know, it was like a camp you know, and we were all feeding off each other musically, creatively. And, you know, DJing back then was such fun, you know, because we had so much tunes in in our boxes, 10-inch dub plate boxes back then, you know. Yeah, I, was, yeah, I always yeah. wanted a 10-inch dub plate box. I felt like <laughs> I was a real DJ because I saw DJ LTJ book them with one once. I thought, I want one of those. So the boxes were getting full with tunes, you know, brand new crush tunes brand new Ronnie size tunes, brand new sub tunes. And then from Brian and Frost, you know, we get the, the Dillinger hookups, you know? So, you know, I was going out DJing and, you know, feeling pretty super heroic, you know, with like <laughs> Warhead and brown paper bag on dub plate and clear skies. And, you know, some brand new Dillinger, you know, that Friday or whatever. So, you know, good times. And um, yeah, over the years, you know, things evolved, represent, we did that, toured that and stuff, did, you know, other projects, Breakbeat Era. And over the last 10 years, I think I kind of like, I got a bit stale doing the same old thing. Mm. Well, it's that, it's that recent 10 years that I really want to focus in this time. But um, because, you know, the 90s stories have been told, I guess. You know, Quite a we, few times. <laughs> I think a lot of us, a lot of us and a lot of the listeners, you know, we know what drum and bass is. Um, but mm. let's just to get those coordinates, um, let, let's just quickly go through what got you to that point and then like we'll do a super potted history which, which point <laughs> to, to the point of being uh, a superstar superhero in fact i love that i love that feeling no that, no that, i wouldn't see that, i felt like one at the no, time no 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 the, 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 the description of the feeling i yeah, can absolutely yeah, understand yeah, yeah. It. And certainly I mean? as a raver we would have seen anyone with that yeah. dumb box i can remember watching mm. and walking into the zap in brighton carrying that exact box you that knew you're he talking had something about. different in that box and that no one else had you know so so just to quickly go through what got you to that point, you grew up in Bristol? Grew up in North Devon. Right. In a place called Barnstable, born in Barnstable Hospital. Mm -hmm. Grew up in, a, it was five miles outside of uh, Barnstable in this little, I guess, community. You know, it was a mixture of, you know, there was a doctor there, Dr. Cole, whose son was uh, DJ Skits. Uh, hip-hop legend hip-hop legend you know shout out to my brother skits you know so i grew up there um and about 10 years old uh, my mum moved to bristol first to do a maths degree and i soon followed and um moved from sort of you know the middle of the countryside straight into st paul's you know to sussex place um it was a culture That's a, it's culture shock it indeed. was a big culture shock you know but a big eye-opener as well you know all the endeavor and i was already into music i was already you know gone quickly from elvis to punk thank <laughs> god and then we got into scar as well two-tone was big you know this is like you know a new new wave was big as well so you know living in north devon in the middle of nowhere you know and you know we thought we were punk rockers you know we got sort of we'd see it on tv and try to dress you know same and we you know listen to sex pistols and clash and dead kennedys and all that so this is at 10 years old and um yeah shortly after that moved to bristol and uh yeah 1982 it was just hip hop, but just hit. So there was all these kind of things popping up around the city, graffiti, you know, break dancers in the middle of the city. And yeah, it was just everywhere. You know, um, some of the early pieces by 3D were coming up. One popped up outside my school. And I just remember coming outside school and just looking at it, looking at it. And I started um, trying to draw it in my, you know, my school books. I mean, so did you know this was a local kind of hero at the time? Did you know Not who really. I mean, they, they were, you know, mystical, you know, Lone Ranger types, you know, no yeah, one yeah. knew who they were. Um, but you knew their pieces, you knew their, their artwork. So this was all popping up around the time. And th there was um, this place, the Arnolfini, they had an exhibition in there as well. Subway Art had just come out, mm -hmm. the book. And, um, you know, I was just a young kid, you know, punk rocker kid. And then, you know, quickly saw this hip-hop thing and was like yeah this is what it's about so just got you know just immersed myself in it really and i was break dancing did it speak to, to the same instinct as as punk did in in absolutely. being diy and something that you could get involved with yeah yourself? absolutely it was accessible it was around you everywhere and um you know i was living in this place called Tot totterdown 
just down the road from there, there's quite a famous place, St. Luke Squats. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was going down there to hang out. I was a, I was a skateboarder. So that was my mm-hmm. main thing first. I you know, found skateboarding. Which up. again links both punk and hip hop very Absolutely. much. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, it's the same ethos, you know. It's just, it is just DIY and make something out of nothing, you know. So... Mm-hmm. Um, and Crust and his brothers were playing at this squat, right? Yes, they were around the way. They they were from Noel West, which was like, you know, a mile or two up the road. And yeah, Tottenham was in between town and Noel. So, and St. Luke's squat was this kind of like little hub. I mean, it was an anarchistic squat kind of, you know, like the rebels living down there. There was a skate ramp in there, you know, there was, a, and they, they had sort of little festival parties there as well. So I'd go down there. Fresh Fall were doing the parties in the squat at the end. It was, um, it was a scout hut actually. So they were throwing parties there. I'd hear the music come up over the hill and sort of go down there to you know, have a look and stuff, you know, with my skateboard. So this is the, this is the, um, the backyard area is what you can see in the Fresh Four Wishing on a Star video, right? Yes, yeah, it is. Just it's, a, it's a magical, scout. like, capturing of a moment, that video, I think. I mean, yeah, now looking back at it, it is. It's, I mean, it's, yeah, it's one of the first big videos from Bristol, you know, Flynn, Cross Brother, shout out to Flynn as well. You know, he's one of the guys that, you know, kind of helped me, showed me DJing, showed me scratching for the first time. And um, yeah, those guys were around. I didn't really know them, you know. I was just kind of a young kiddie, you know, just inquisitive to go have a look and stuff. And um, But this whole time, you know, this is parties are starting to pop up everywhere. You know, the Wild Bunch thing is still going on. St. Paul's Carnival's going on. Ashton Court Festival's going on. You know, and um, I'm just a young kid from the country, just moved up and it's just blowing my mind, <laughs> really, you know. Did you have a sense that Bristol had its own unique thing within hip-hop culture not at that time because you didn't really know i mean daniel you knew i saw beat street was the first film that i saw and that 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 was my introduction to it really and then we saw wild style so you know because i was kind of piecing it together really and of course the book the you know the subway art book so yeah just just about amongst it really you know i was just going from you know squat party to house party you know i remember going to certain like the um, crews that were back there back at the time, Too Bad were one of the big DJ crews from back there. They they threw this party at the, um, it was down in the SS Great Britain and I went down there and, you know, just hearing them play a mixture of sort of house, hip hop, rare groove, boogie, funk, soul, you know, and, you know, just, and then Acid House was coming in. So I'm just, just, yeah skateboarding around Bristol from party to party. But it was all done as well with the dub mentality or with the sound system mentality because people, their parents were Caribbean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, definitely. I mean, St. Paul's is a big, was a big Caribbean community. It still is. It's getting gentrified quite a lot. I mean, you know, and that's, the, that's a whole other story. And but the other element is, as you as you described the squatters, the, yes. that kind of yeah. what came from New Wave, but yeah. also the hippie yeah. kind of thing, traveller culture of yeah. the 70s and 80s. Yeah. And um, we're, also, we're all living in the same area. So it's like the melting pot between those two things. And the two sort of sides are helping each other out. You know, the, the squatters have got the place to do the party. The sound system guys have got the sound system. So hey, let's, let's get together and have a party. You know what I mean? So. <laughs> um, you know, also you had people like Mark Stewart who had come out of the pop group who were, and, and who were one of the most out there and avant-garde of all the punk bands. Yeah, I mean, I didn't really know about him back then. Obviously, I know who he yeah. is now and stuff. But yeah, I mean, these people, you know, there's so many different people in different areas doing stuff in Bristol and everyone's so sort of into what they're doing. You know, you might even know who's next door, someone's making something. But yeah, there's a lot of different elements. Goes. I mean, there's the whole Chaos UK as well. You know, so Ashton Court Festival, you'd go up there and you'd see them all in the same field. You know, the punks would be over in one corner sniffing glue pogo in, you know, <laughs> Defcon crew were set up there playing to the jazz dancer, funk dancers, you know, Wild Bunch were over there. Maybe, you know, Milo's spinning some tunes on some other sound system. And this is all going in the same sort of like vicinity. Amazing. So. I mean, you know, it, it's some of these stories have been told, but it just bears repeating so much. <laughs> yeah. What a vital little corner yeah, and how lucky you were to be right in the there, middle of that yeah. nexus of history yeah it's big influences um, and then rave came along then rave came along yeah rave changed everything i mean i said this before but i think for all the djs that were playing stuff before as long as when rave came along it's like if you didn't get amongst it and get you know jump and start playing this new sound you kind of got left behind really you know you know big dj from bristol easy groove you know another big influence he doesn't actually. get his his due he as doesn't. one of the inventors of jungle as one of those people who was like carving that thing through hardcore first person i ever heard 
played me jungle tune. I used to go around to this house and he, you know, he played me side B for records track and it was I think it was either jungle techno or bad girls or one of those ones. And it was like, yeah, this is jungle. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm about this, you know? <laughs> and I think it was that moment that I sort of, you know, I completely changed, you know, jungleism, jungle techno. That's what we called it back then. And yeah, just started collecting the records, buying the records, you know, with the idea to play at one of these parties in the squats or whatever. Or playing. So you DJing was your focus then? It, Not is, really. I was just getting into it. I was a skateboarder. Yeah. And I, I, I met this guy, Jody, from where, um, back then, he was with his brother. They were called True Funk. They had released a record uh, on Free Strike Recordings, Smith & Mighty's label. And I just got to it's know them. It's a lovely them. tune, that one, actually. It's very Sunrise, kind of Acid House vibe. That That's 4am. Yeah, yeah. Their record was called... It was a hip-hop yeah. record. And oh, it was yeah, called yeah, Back yeah, to the yeah, Beat. Yeah, okay. And like Jody was scratching. His little brother, Sammy, at the time, was eight years old was rapping and, and they were just like a little you know they were a sensation in town like they the jungle brothers come to town to um to promote the album straight out of the jungle and they performed with them and the whole town was talking about you know these two white kids that could rap and scratch so i got to know jody went around there um and kind of that was my another one of my big intros you know because jody was producing as well he's making music on the four track or a turntable and you know, cutting the beats back to back to make a rhythm track, his rap, rubber rap over the top, put a bass line on, and they put out a record, Back to the Beat, um, through Smith Mighty's label. So that was mm -hmm. another connection to it. I started hanging out around there, got into the scratching. I just wanted to learn to scratch, first of all. So, How do you make that sound? You know, like, yeah. I want to learn, it's like the next trick. So, got in, yeah, hanging around with Jody, met up with Flynn from the Fresh Four. Mm -hmm crust started started hanging out with them those guys took me under their wings started going to their parties you know and i was kind of the box boy at the time you know the skateboarder kid they were interested in skateboarding um and i was interested in djing and it kind of like it became a bit of a trade-off yeah you teach me how to ollie and i'll teach you how to you know cut up two copies of in preacher president you know so <laughs> perfect <laughs> so so yeah i got hanging out with those guys um i backtracked a bit now do you know what i mean mm. because so this leads back to Smith and Mighty, you know, because they've sort of, you know, I would say this before, we, we're like the illegitimate children of the Wild Bunch and Smith and Mighty. More so Smith and Mighty because they really took us under their wing and, you know, nurtured us, you know, without really sort of, you know, ever trying to sort of, you know, tell us what to do or release our music. They just let us hang out with them and watch them and, you know, ended up going partying with them because, you know, 92 In, in the famous Ravenmobile. In the famous Ravenmobile, we know about it. Yeah, the Citroen, <laughs> the big long Citroen. They had a deal with FFRR at the time, you yeah. know, and which was a big deal. And um, because not many people from Bristol had record deals, you know. Yeah, they were going to be the new soul to soul. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And, you know, um, Wild Bunch had got a couple of records out and then they got their deal. But Raven had come along and, you know, Sunrise, I think they went to Sunrise and, and never looked back, you know, and we just go raving from the, from their studio. We'd go around there on a Friday at like 8 p.m. and sort of hang out until they get the, the rave call, you know what I mean? The, the, bat, the bat phone would ring and it's like, we'd you know, get in the Citroen and just jet off to the you know, Oxfordshire somewhere and to this free party. Yeah, and that, that again is another connection with that kind of uh, hippie alternative culture because those sound systems, obviously Circus Warp, who were one of the big free party sound I mean, systems, yeah. had a big connection to Bristol yeah, Rave. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Circus Warp, big influence, you know, they did this party at Chip and Sobbery Common. Everyone from Bristol was there. You know, I think that was one thing I knew Cross before, but I think when, you know, we bumped into each other on the dance floor in the Circus Warp blue and red tent, you know, at 6 a.m., we definitely, there was a certain sort of like, ah, yeah, you know, oh, you're here, you get it. You know what I mean? I remember just looking in his eyes, going, this is different, isn't it? Yeah. This, you know, and the rest of those next summer from 92, 93, we were there every weekend. You know, we would just make our way to wherever the, the, the free party was. And that was a way to get heard as a DJ. That was, you know, mm -hmm. the best you know place to play. You, I'd, you know, I'd spend all my money, right? You get £64 a week every, every two weeks. £64 every two weeks for your gyro. And out of that, I think I'd spend probably 40 quid on records, you know, and then the rest may be on a bit of, you know, some pasta and porridge or something. And then, you know, the, it was the, the idea was to get to the free party and get play. That was it. That was everything. So, you know, you get there, stand behind the decks until, you know, someone got you on. It was usually Easy Groove was the guy to kind of come along and, you know, you're, you're on next, you know, because he, he had the control, yeah. you know, he, everyone loved him. 
you know, Dan, he would come from the big raves perceptions and the, you know, the, uh, the big pay parties and he'd come to always come to the free parties in the morning to play. You know, that was his other crowd playing to the travellers and playing to, you know, the real fr free party hardcore, you know. So Dennis would say, Easy Groove would say, yeah, you're next. And, and, and that was it. That was your, your spotlight to shine. Amazing. And then 94 comes along and Jungle is overground. Yeah. And by that time, were you producing? Ronnie and Crust had each got a tune or two yeah. out there by that point. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I've done a couple of tunes with Jody, um, first being 4AM, right. under the name okay. True yeah. Funk, and then we did two yeah. Ray VPs under the name Sublove. And they were kind of like 130 BPM, 140 BPM, rave music, you know, sampling hip hop, stabs, you know, a couple of reggae shouts, and, you know, and, and like, you know, these kind of hardcore breakdowns, you know. Mm -hmm. And we'd done a two, couple of VPs for that. We got And I got to play at Universe Festival, um, festival it was a party universe was one of the big paid parties so i got to play there quite early and that was a real eye-opener mm -hmm. didn't really go anywhere and then i ended up just going really back into playing the free parties but in those couple of years we we kind of like worked out what we wanted to play so when it got a chance to make make a record you know first couple of records i made with jody um yeah the sub love eps then led to do the tune with ronnie um, we made our first track, which was uh, Agility, mm -hmm. which came out on V Recordings. And then we did Music Box shortly after. And they were sort of designed to how we wanted to DJ. You know, they were like mix friendly. You know, we knew we didn't want too many breakdowns. We knew we didn't, we knew we wanted a drum intro. So it was good for mixing. And you had, you know, a nice transition point where you come across, you know, so it made us look slick while we're DJing, you know, and, you know, made a good transition. So. And you all had that rolling rear groove kind of thing, which came from sample digging as, as yeah. a scratch DJ did it. Or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, those guys have record collections, like Ronnie's brother, General, who was in the crew called UD4, he had a massive record collection. So we kind of go digging in his, his crates and stuff. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they had, they had breakbeats. You know, they had some breakbeats that you know, covered. I still don't know the names of, you know, because the records were covered up. And, um, yeah, we found some some beats, you know, the beat for Music Box, which is um, versatility breakbeat, which is now used in so many jump and bass tunes. Yeah pretty much everywhere even it's just the hi-hat but so we found this break and we're like yeah this is this is the groove you know so made those first couple of tracks and um a lot changed between 92 and 94 you know i think by 94 jungle was sort of had become a thing you know it evolved from hardcore rave to now you know and london london had done its thing as well i remember going to notting hill carnival up here one year and you know, sort of traipsing around to try and find the jungle stage. And when we finally got there, you know, the two tracks I heard was Long, Long uh, Dark Stranger and Long Dark Tunnel. They were the two big tunes at the time. And mm -hmm. um, Dirty Games, you know. So, uh, yeah, we went back to Bristol after this sort of experience. And, yeah, well, that was it. It was um, just got in the studio more, started making more music. I mean, that's an understatement, really. Because from that point, yeah, it really snowballed right like super fast all of you guys had like major production rate right and then you add the ronnie size represent thing yeah into the middle of that yeah. like you just didn't stop it was just it, you know it's pretty much the way it is now really you know it is just a way of life you know and just love making music just yeah. love being in the studio um would spend all the time in the studio if we probably could but yeah we were just you know and we were bouncing off each other there was a great energy there was a great pushing forward you know and uh cross to make a tune that would inspire me and you know to go inspire ronnie and sub and i think you know we're just a good a good sort of bouncing off each other team and you had it fairly well sort of um split into you had your kind of serious tunes your your v-type tunes um then you had dope dragon mm. for like rolling out the bangers yeah 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 and Roddy Size Represent and Breakbeat Era as the kind of more stage-worthy festival-type yeah. stuff. Yeah, because we just like, you know, if you're just making music, we just love making music. So you're in there every day, you know, not every track goes the way it should, you know. So you just make music and, oh, yeah, okay, this one, you know, this one sounds better, a bit slower. Maybe that can be a full cycle song. Or this one, you know, the Breakbeat Era song with Lenny, you know, it's like a completely different groove, you know. And we were pushing ourselves to try new things as well, like you wanted to do something you'd never heard before you know you want to try and make something that would first of all impress your friends you know impress the crew around you and then you know yeah just maybe you know do something that would oh yeah i didn't expect to make that 
we're gonna we're gonna whiz through the nineties a bit because I want to get on to like all of the other genres and things that you've you you've touched. You know, you had so many high points, so many big tunes. Um, you experienced the absolute explosion of drum and bass into the international world, but that also led to pressures, right? I mean, yeah. the touring and everything. Yep, 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 yep. It was a whirlwind, you know, none of us were really expecting it to, to go the way it did. And, you know, it was being thrown into the rock and roll lifestyle. You know, we were, we were on a tour bus, you know, with each other day in, day out, you know, partying, you know, we like a good party, you know, we know that. And, yeah, rolling around the world, you know, going to New York, you know, going to Australia, going to Japan and Europe a few times. So, you know, the pressures came on, I think. And, you know, being away from the studio was hard, you know. So when we did come back to try and make music again, maybe it was harder to get back into it or, you know, because I think, you know, this thing is like, you know, almost like martial art, you know, or, you know, an athlete. You have to do it all the time in order to be really in tune with it. You know, and you get you get further away from it, and it takes you long to get back in to really access the source that we had when we were first that that initial period. Mm. It's, so, I mean, it's funny that you describe it as a martial art, actually, because I thought when when you described like learning a scratch as almost identical to learning a skate trick, it's really easy to see how you and Crust especially vibed on that mentality because he talks about it from a breakdancer's perspective. He talks about everything as perfecting a move and doing it one step better than the next guy and all of that. And, and that can be applied to any of these crafts. Yeah, definitely. It's a very hard thing to, to, to fake it. You know, you, it's the tunes that effortlessly make themselves the ones that seem to stand the test of time, you know, the ones you've really got to force and make work. But the, some of the, you know, the, our best tunes were just made without us even really realising we did it yeah. at the time. I've been thinking about this exact theme because I've just been on a binge of listening to Paradox. And Paradox is like, you know, he's like the Japanese craftsman of drum and bass. He makes Paradox breaks. That's what he does. And he does it on Octomed on a ancient computer, you know, and he, keep the sound. he, he just keeps doing it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Again and again, yeah. innovation Repet isn't necessarily the, the, the aim. It's like perfection. Yeah, I think so. I think we were pushed into a world, you know, from just being create free creatives into a world where, you know, the industry and, you know, happened to do it for a reason. Suddenly the world's listening and the pressures of that, you know, definitely came. And what um, no one tells young people who are about to be in a band or a collective or whatever mm. is you spend more time with those people than you do with your spouse you know mm, you, yeah, you, no, you are intense. like 24 7 with yeah, those same it, people so it is intense it's, it's a pressure cooker and at a certain point you know it that the pressure cooker blew over you know i think um after the last tour i think we know we did so we did um new forms and then the second one in the mode which um yeah and i think by the time we finished touring in the mode everyone was sick of each other you know the pressures of being on tour got to us and we just needed to regroup, you know, and um, yeah, you know, I think some relationships have become strained and yeah, you know, it kind of ended not too well, really. Mm, I mean, without wanting to, you know, you know, these these things happen to so many, um, even the strongest musical groupings, but um, without wanting to dwell on the negative, what what did you find kept your creative juices flowing at that point were you were you kind of sick of the whole thing musically I, or? I, I think i've always liked working with people i definitely consider myself a better collaborator than solo artist i just enjoy it more i enjoy the outcome i think the the product at the end of it's better with two heads two heads can make a better you know mm. better better cake you know so yeah people, i started working with dj clips um, and that helped me a lot. Also, um, we were moving, the equipment was changing, the technology was changing. Yeah. Well, we started on Atari's samplers. You know, we used the Roland 760 sampler. That was our weapon of choice. And, you know, Atari Cubase and, you know, effects and stuff, you know, some outboard stuff and some desks. Just twiddling knobs, literally. We'd turn it up till it went in the red and that sounded good to us and we'd keep that. And, um, and it all changed. It went it went inside the computer. I mean, people started getting, you know, the idea was, yeah, you get a computer, you can do stuff faster. 
you know, you don't have to cut, spend two weeks sampling, cutting up these breaks into a million pieces and reconstructing yourself. You can do it with, you know, one button, you know, with um, recycle or whatever. And that's cool. But I think, you know, when you actually did have to cut them up, you had like, a, you get a relationship with each sound, you know, you really know it inside out, you know, yeah. it's like, and, and then you know what to do with it, you know, you kind of may remember where stuff is and, you know, find the right sound at the right time. And, um, yeah, we had to adjust to working inside the computer. You that, know? that, I mean, a lot of people will say that that was uh, a creative problem for drum and bass. And I think I was guilty of it at the time, actually. I got turned off drum and bass because I was like, everything's starting to get too slick and people have lost that kind of wild invention that came with jungle cut-ups and, and that kind of thing. And looking back, I realised that, no, you know, there was great stuff. Of course there was being, being banged out during yeah, that yeah. time. But it did enter a kind of production arms race because you had this all of this computing power at your fingertips. Yep. You had to know how to use it. Um, you know, you, you needed to know some numbers. You needed to know the, the frequency range numbers, you know, what did what and stuff, rather than just turning a, you know, sweeping an EQ sweep. Which maybe take some of the instinctive <laughs> yes, thing def away. Yes, definitely. And, you know, I, I was stuck. You know, I wasn't enjoying what I was making to that on my own. You know, I was struggling. And also we'd done a lot. So we covered a lot of ground and, you know, con to continue trying to make the same tune over and over again got really, you know, disheartening and, you know, I stopped enjoying it. You know, so working with Clips was, was a breath of fresh air. Who, of course, is now Red Light. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, exactly. Shout to Clips, out to Red Light. Um, we were like, he was, he was working with uh, Full Cycle at the time and had come along at the end of it, you know, as things were kind of falling apart. You know, Clips came along and was like, he had a, you know, a real energy about what he was doing. And, you know, we, we, we had it off, made a couple of tunes, made a few more tunes. Um, as, that, any, as anyone who's met him in person, that's a, that's like energy is the word. Yeah, 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 yeah. Nah, he was, he was buzzing, you know, and had this new, he had his, his, his own sound that was bringing to the table. And I was like, you know what, I just want to have fun and make music. Yeah. You know, I don't want to take this too And seriously. again, that's something that people look down on at that period, right. that kind of jump up thing. Yes, there's and, always been that thing. But it was those tunes now stand up as yeah. party starters that yeah. stand the test what? of time I don't care about you know being cool or whatever do you know what I mean yeah. or, or you know because when it's time to be cool I'll put my cool hat on and you know we'll make some cool music but <laughs> at the same time there's nothing more fun than making a party tune you know that blows the you know destroys the dance floor yeah. or whatever and that and that that is a that's a part of it as well as part of the training thing as well so you know you may need to make four of these in order to make one of these special deep ones deep yeah. ones exactly w was anything else outside drum and bass kind of turning your head at that time turn of the millennium i suppose sort of time i mean we missed out on a lot of stuff because we were so engrossed in drum and bass i feel you know yeah. we, we missed out on the garage thing garage came along and we were just so head in the drum and bass it's like this whole movement come along and we were just kind of a little bit oblivious to it you know and then after that grime came along and you know i kind of i was just started listening to a lot of boogie music mm -hmm. i started going back because when they're growing up in bristol going to these house parties you know i got i just got an ear for you know 80s funk and boogie and yeah. i got even more into that like i needed something uh, to, to counterbalance this this drum and bass seriousness that I wasn't really enjoying. So, mm. you know, I, I did this mixtape with a guy called Gus Pirelli called Laminate Radio, and it was pure 80s funk and boogie. And, um, yeah. you know, people loved the mix, and we started getting bookings off that. And, you know, we used to put on suits and, you know, go and DJ boogie. And, uh, you know, the whole thing was, yo, yo, if we do this one day, you know, we're going to get we're gonna get our own, you know, yacht and our own helicopter. <laughs> and, you know, we'll be drinking Crystal and, you know, all this stuff, DJing for Puff Daddy, whatever. <laughs> this didn't happen. Uh. <laughs> We ended up spending more money on our dry cleaning bill. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you, you got it right musically. There's no doubt about that. There yeah. was one mix you did for Rinse. Um, oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Trying to think. It must be about 10 years ago now. Yeah, I can't yeah, remember. Yeah. But where you went all the way from Funk and Boogie right through into drum yeah, and bass. Yeah. And it was midsummer. It was a hot summer. I think I, I remember think, the one. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. it just, you obviously managed to then incorporate that back into your wider DJing. I was trying to do that. I think I needed to go off because me, to me, you know, drum and bass, jungle, it always... Um, it was always about what you could bring in from elsewhere to make it interesting, you know. And I think by that time, maybe people were recycling the same ideas and they were taking influences from drum and bass rather than taking influences from elsewhere, you know, and mm -hmm. adding that to the mix, you know. So, yeah, I got into boogie funk and disco and got back into it. And yeah, that was, you know, and then... Um, tried to incorporate elements of that into, you know, when I did get back to making John Bass Jungle, I did the track with Jenna G, A Thousand Soul mm -hmm. Songs, and that was like a homage to, you know, the soul and the funk and the boogie, so. God, she's an underappreciated 
contributed to British music, the yeah. amount of stuff she has done. And no, Janaji is, you know... Dots a, that she joins with the people that yeah, she's worked with. She's my soul sister, you know, and working with her, you know, we were big fans of her before from, you know, the stuff she did with Future Cut and obviously In Love and, you know, other tracks she'd made. So, yeah, me and Clips worked with her first on the track, uh, Work It Out, and then, you know, I ended up working with her years later. And, um, you know, shouts to all the Manchester crew, by the way. They, they've been a massive, um, you know, part in what I'm doing now and mm -hmm. a part of my journey to get here as well. So, you know, I consider them like a, a twin town to Bristol almost. Yeah, and know? I think, I mean, I think we'll get to that in a bit because that's really kind of coming yeah. to culmination, I think, yeah, I think yeah, recently. Yeah. Um, at what point did you become aware of dubstep? Joker, mm -hmm. really. Um, I'd, no, I'd heard bits and bobs, you know. I'd heard some stuff and I wasn't sure about all of it. And then Joker played me Tron. And, <laughs> and I was like... <laughs> This sounds like hip hop, really. You know, this is but this is and sick. boogie as well. Yeah, yeah that it has it has the Simpson stuff. Yeah, so yeah, I think J Joker was doing his thing, and you know, dubstep had, was another sort of you know, um, you know, different. You know, it had to step away from drum and bass. It needed to change. It needed to slow down. Drum and bass had exhausted all its, mm. you know, BPM possibilities. It got really fast, and it was you know. Well, Pinch, another Bristol hero, yes. had uh, he he once said to me that. If Rave was looking outwards, drum, uh, Dubstep took exactly the same elements of the dub and the breakbeat and everything and looked inwards mm, with it, it like became, became introspective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this was what happened in Bristol, sort of on another scene as well. Um, you know, they started, I think, the Hench Night started, you know, and, you know, DJs like... And Jake's, of course, had Jake's, been in drum and bass for years before yeah, that. yeah, and he'd found another, you know, angle, another avenue to, you know, to go down and was, you know, doing, making loads of music. Um, Headhunter was coming through that same scene, you mm -hmm. know, later went on come Addison Groove, someone I work with, we'll get to talk in a minute. Yeah. But, um, another yeah. Another powerhouse of a party energy. Yeah, 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 yeah man, Tony's great. Um, and also Rob Smith, you know, had started RSD as well, yeah. so... Which yeah. were extraordinary records, like yeah, magic. yeah, and yeah. They sounded like Smith and Mighty, but mm. also dubstep, just yeah. somehow perfectly encapsulated yeah. the connections. Because I mean, one of the earliest Gutterfunk records was was um, my it mate was. DJ First Aid. It was, it was uh, First Aid and Pulsar actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Not to get Pulsar. Um, yeah, that, that was a mad one. Um, I went down to Star Delta to, to master some records, maybe cut some dub plates. Mm. And um, you know, first day was working at the time. As I was leaving, he said, "Do you want to hear one of the tracks I've been working on?" And I said, "Yeah." He played it to me. I was like, "This is that ish." You know what I mean? This is that Bristol ish. Yeah. This is just like the, you know the real weighty dub sound system baseline. Another set of micro connections. You know, because yeah. he's obviously from Devon and was a protege ah. of Skits, so oh, Skits yeah. taught him to DJ as well. True, true, so, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and he's, he's now so Jabru, many connections. So, yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, he played me the track and uh, I remember just put going home in the car and all the way home, just listening to the track over and over and over and over again. I was like, this is sick, man. I want to put this out, you know, and I was looking to start a new label. I, basically, I wanted another outlet to, to have total freedom to create what I want. You know, mm. and you know, not really have a set path, not be the. Well, you, you know, really made a statement because it was dubstep, and then Soka. Kind of, like, yeah, sort yeah, next, of, yeah, yeah. Next, so some of the next releases were um, just now, yeah, which um, it's like Trinidad meets Bristol, yeah, yeah. The um, interface, the producer, I'd worked with him before. I made a record that come out on the, the Clear Skies label, um, another label that I started before Gutter Funk, mm -hmm. just to do drum and bass. So I did this track, uh, Bright Lights, with a guy called William Cartwright who's a very talented singer, multi-instrumentist, and um, Sam Interface, who then become Just Now. So yeah. we worked together. Sam was someone who lived up the road. And um, yeah, when I heard the Just Now stuff, you know, I was blown away, you know, and I, this sounds different. This fits in with this new, this new label's new ethos that I was starting, you know. You know, our thing was to throw as many curveballs as possible, you know. Um, at the same time, um, I got a shout out Carly, I think you know Carly, Carly mm -hmm. Bags. She came along board and started helping me you know, manage the label and run things and stuff. And you know, she was mad into Soka as well. So she was like, yeah, yeah, this is that new stuff. So yeah. we put out a couple of records by them. Um, and then we put out the Ton Up record, which which really blew them up. Yeah. And um, and that that Soka thing of like super high speed kick drums, right. it really fits now with what a lot of people are doing, connecting drum and bass back to rave and techno. And that, definitely. You know, and then, you know, the, the high fact speed, that it was like 150 kind of. BPMs and 160 BPMs and then the footwork thing, which is also yeah. slowed it down as well. Um, yeah, that was a big influence, you know, and, um, you know, and something that we still exercise a lot at the moment, you know, um, 
I work really closely with Will Dismantle, someone who uh, I shout out to be in there. I wouldn't really be sat here now. Gutter Funk wouldn't be doing where it is right now. And he's, he's from Brighton, right? He is from Brighton, yeah. He, so he was working with um, Shy FX on digital soundboy stuff. Yeah. Um, I met him at Glastonbury Festival. And um, shout out Shy FX, by the way, as well, because his label, Digital Soundboy, was a big influence on me starting Gutter Funk. You know? That absolutely makes sense. And, and I think it's really interesting to look at that time. So mm. we're, we're around 2010, 2011 right. now. And 2011's when I started yeah. That was that that was like a high point and I think we're looking back on it now at 10 years kind mm. of you know cycles and so on um when almost all the genres were peaking mm. at the same time yeah. it was like drum and bass was coming back from its lull around the millennium right. uh dubstep was reaching that commercial peak yeah. and it hadn't quite gone all the way off into the madness right. that happened in the two years that followed yeah yeah grime was coming back yeah because it had kind of had a flash at the beginning right. and then dip right. and then it was coming back you had uk funky yeah. you had the weird stuff like rusty mm -hmm. you know coming yeah. from scotland yeah. all that crazy rusty yeah, Hudson Mohawk yeah, stuff you had um loads of different stuff and like shy effects i think i you know was one of the people to sort of champion going out as a drum and bass dj and totally you know going against the grain and playing like street fighter and um, and connecting also with rodigan so he was going back another generation previously and drawing right. all the threads of sound system with the hard culture. record yeah and this was really appealing to me you know i was like and there also labels like you know talking loud you know warp and Ninja, you know, these other labels that have been multi-genre labels for years, you mm. know, and, and it was like, you know what, I've got to go against the grain, you know, you know, I have to sort of open, I, I've got to open my creative possibilities here. So, you know, I needed this outlet. So when we went in the studio, we didn't have to think about, and I kind of, at the time I sort of, I stopped taking drum and bass bookings, you know, I just, you know, I wasn't enjoying what I was going out there. Or enjoy, I wasn't enjoying what I was making and I wasn't really enjoying DJing because mm. I didn't have enough tunes of my own that, that sounded good was kind of making music in a room that kind of didn't sound great it wasn't treated right and you know it was a low period um and i needed to find some sort of you know some sort of escape you know out route you needed to find in the next exit door yeah were you putting on parties at the time there's one video for one of those tracks and i can't remember which it is one of those early gutter funk tracks that looks like a squat party i'm trying to think what it might be <laughs> which one was that ah um we did that. it's so, in black and white i think Oh, not the um, oh the uh, piece and dub, yes, that's on Shy's label. Oh yes, yes. of course. Okay, yeah, so yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, also not other people that I've worked with that have really helped me to sort of you know get my skills up, and I've learned a lot from them. You know because you know I'm not musically trained as well, and you know I struggle as well like any other producer out here. Do you know what I mean? So working with some of these people, you know, who I consider you know very high, you know, I look up to as producers. Break was another big big one. Um, working with him he's a master engineer master producer master of the sound you know he really knows how to shape and control sound so working with him was really helped me up my game and learn more techniques yeah. of how i think how to get get the sound again because i think like i said back to the equipment and back to the evolution drum and bass we'd lost how in the early days you know there were certain things we did without thinking about it just the fact necessity speeding up a breakbeat till it's uh, pitch is higher you know and the groove is more you know, it's got got that little bubble to it, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we we started like using breaks at the real pitch, thinking that was the way to do it. But you lost the groove within that, and it starts it sounding more clunky. like a rock band or something. Yeah, you know, it so. didn't have the funk, man. Yeah. So yeah, working with break, you know, he was utilizing techniques like that, and kind of you know he taught me a lot as well so he's someone who's who's come back to the old school jungle values recently yeah, in his output yeah, yeah. and he's doing it with the weapons grade production values yeah, but, weapons grade production, I like that. but it's old school and yeah, it's, yeah, uh, yeah. it keeps all those values yeah so i did some tracks with him i did a track called slow down and um we made the ep for shy's label as well uh the grand funk hustle mm -hmm. ep couple three drum bass tunes and then it had the tune uh peace and dub which was a you know a dub tune not not you know your typical dub tune but it was no. our interpretation of it it featured the vo voice of mc fats yeah and um yeah but that video it really seems like you were trying to recapture the kind of illegal party shabine kind of vibe do you know what that was that was this, this uh videographer called tom swindle who i met at the time as well um he we just we just hung out in Bristol for three weekends in a row and just kind of it, it was a little bit planned. We'd make a few calls, you know. He knew some people. We went down to the um, 
the local St. Paul's old people's Christmas party and then they very kindly let us in and film them, you know. It was like, first of all, who are these guys? And then as soon as we got the camera out, they all started, you know, shucking out and, you know, which was brilliant. And then we just kind of went on this little magical mystery tour around Bristol and and, and, and part of Tom's thing, Tom's thing was is he wanted to show, you know, the, the inside the, of the the party you know so sometimes people just showing us a room there was a party in or this place had parties back in the day mm. we ended up in motion i think that night or one of them actually with star and gara at one point you know we just did a lap of bristol really and i'm really proud of that video yeah what's what's interesting is that it was at the same time there was a very and i mean no shade at all on any of these these artists because there's some incredible music coming out but very london centric berlin centric right set of fusions that were happening like the hyperdub and the hessel audio right you know so many so many great tunes but that was inspiring that, to us as well yeah, you know, yeah hearing these you know the pearson sound things and um my friend went to a thing at the blue mountain heard um addison groove and pearson sound play he came back just said telling me about how the sound systems would sounded and how these 808s were just you know just making the system pump and i was just like you know like a meerkat you know like what's going on over there you know what i mean like, i want some of that i want i want i want some of that new energy and um you know that's when i bumped into addison groove mm. uh, but it was i mean it was easy for us within the the media and especially the london centric media to kind of feel that this music it sort of vaguely spoke to techno it vaguely spoke to the things that we understood um and yet you were building a set of connections that kind of almost swerved london so right. brighton manchester trinidad and <laughs> trinidad exactly and yeah. creating this kind of a parallel yeah. version of what we call post dubstep right. you know that that mixed mixed speed yeah. I mean, it was, it, was, it was very natural, you know, it was just people you bump into around at festivals and stuff. I mean, I think, I mean, I'll be honest, at that time, I wasn't in the best of minds, you know what I mean? And I kind of was trying to find my new path, you know, mm. I ended up running, I was running around festivals, basically, you know, doing mad stuff, you know, like commandeering golf carts and sliding down marquees at six in the morning, you know, I was kind of getting more known for doing these crazy things like that. And that was cool, you know, I got to meet, meet some people through that, you know, I met Scream through that sort of You will meet Scream, you do enough <laughs> of that stuff, yeah. Okay. I met Scream sliding down the tent at six in the morning. Almost, not quite. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, but meeting these new people and I wanted to, you know, get part of this new energy, you know, it's like there's new stuff going on, so... Yeah, we were just building, you know, and then ended up going back to Bristol and making music with people and, you know, putting it out on Garfunk. Yeah, and it it's, feels like it's been a steady accumulation over the past 10 years. That's, that's about right. It about is right. getting there. It does finally feel like, you know, we're starting to get a bit of notice for what we're doing, you know. Um, I think I've heard somewhere, you know, keep doing dope shit until someone notices. <laughs> but we did, we felt like underdogs, you know, and we didn't feel like we were properly getting recognized or the stuff we were doing was harder for people to put in a category or a box you know and that was on purpose it was like okay everyone else is going left we're gonna go left right and forward and back you know all at once and it was a bit chaotic and i was running around trying to make videos trying to promote records trying to make records trying to do a bit of everything kind of pushing my energies everywhere which I learned a lot of different stuff from, but at the same time, it was like treading water, you know, weren't really getting anywhere, you know, it was just kind of needed some other elements to come into play to make it work. And, you know, that's when um, I met Dismantle. And that's been, I mean, how long have you been steadily producing as Dimantle? Um, God, I can't remember the year we actually met. It's, it's, like, it's getting on four or five it might even be six now do you know what I mean yeah so yeah we met at Glastonbury it's one of those conversations you know we have hey let's make a tune together and you know how many, how much time does that ever come together not many mm -mm. but this time you know he got in his car and drove to Bristol and turned up and you know we made made a record first being uh, Over the Edge come out on Digital Soundboy and started to just and it was a 128 BPMs syncopated techno-y kind of excursion yeah. and um yeah we went on just you know form a strong bond um and a partnership in the studio and there's not really anything everything that i do now he is involved in and vice versa in some way you know we sort of executively produced the last gutter funk album that's just come out all subject to vibes and yeah just formed that strong communion you know and support for each other you know um you know he's like probably 20 years younger than me. Um, I don't know if he calls me my mentor or I call him mine or I call him. Yeah, basically we mentor each other and we support each other to kind of like, yeah. 
I mean, what they what they built in Brighton, the the whole Gangoon. What, what was I his don't little that, collective called? I can't remember. I that, don't know really. I think we uh, know about his history in Brighton, to be honest. So, uh, uh, so there was just a few of them, and they they just put on huge dubstep raves, and right. they would they would connect with just again the people who were slightly out of being generic so quest and silky would be a big part of it got you and, got you and you know, i think yeah like just oriented and even though he he was did the stuff that was known as bro step that kind of very noisy right right we raving. did the competition thing which which blew up for him yeah i think i mean his musical influences and you know knowledge goes right back as well and he's taught me a lot about other other you know areas and stuff and some of that you know the actual areas that i know about as well <laughs> so but you know from coming from I guess dubstep, but his was more sort of the tribal 130 sort of thing. And yeah, I just don't think there was an actual real lane for that either. So we've, I think we've had to carve our own lane, you yeah. know, as gutter funk. And do you now feel like there's a kind of network? Cause you talked about Manchester and mm -hmm. it feels like, you know, what you've now got going in this collective sense it's similar to levels and hit and run and all 100%, those guys. Man, I love all those guys, man. You know, shouts to Chimpo's one of my favourite DJs in the world. Um, all them lot. I've done a few sets recently with Chunky. I've worked with Jenna. You know, I mean, Fox. Fox is on the album. All them lot. Strats, George, Dub Physics. You know, all them lot have just been so warm and just just generous and welcoming to us lot as well. And you know, we really have a you know a lot of respect for them lot. Yeah, I mean, dub physics breaking through was one of those things that like reconfigured yes. what drum and bass could be and where it fit. Absolutely, and Rodigan getting hold of it and just taking it and making it his own, you know, what I mean? yeah. and championing it. Yeah, no, it's been it's been a good time, and you know, we're we're still working with those guys a lot. You know, meeting Prima as well, um, who's now part of Watch the Ride um, through DRS. DRS introduced us to her, and now she's on board, and we, you know, we're we're building and working with her. So. Yeah, Manchester's always been, like I said, this the twin town. And, I mean, do you even describe what your music is now? I, I try not to. Yeah. I try not to. But I will say from going off on these other excursions and, get, you know, getting the production techniques backed up together with Will Dismantle, working with Addison Groove, you know, making footwork with him and, you know, other strains of techno influence, 130 stuff, whatever. Um, it's kind of like reignited my love for the drums and the bass you know what I mean? <laughs> and making stuff now you know again with dismantle because we are a production team together it's like i'm loving the jungle again you know and mm. you know we're, we just did the track with d double original format you know the kind of beats hark back to maybe those late 90s times you know and he is of course a, a drum and bass dj uh, MC, MC, MC from the from beginning from yeah 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 so making that track with him um you know so me and Will were doing our stuff. Me and Dismantle were making stuff as Dimantle. Um, we did like the Sex Machine track, which was a bit of fun, made in four hours for Glastonbury, and it kind of blew up. You know, we were making a lot of stuff at 150 BPM. Kind of tried to make different tunes at different tempos at all times, which makes it interesting for DJing. But, you know, it also keeps us on our toes. So we make stuff at, you know, everywhere between you know 100 bpms and i don't think it might go to 174 these days but then when you talk about because it's all sound system music right. ultimately yeah. i guess we talk and about it in bpms and if you if, if you think of it as sound system music then you don't need to worry about the tempo because you can always just spin it back and hit the siren it's true, it's true, <laughs> it's true. i do need to get a siren <laughs> i'll put that on my to-do list now <laughs> now it is and like keeping it interesting for yourself you know not just becoming stale with it so sometimes you're changing a couple of bpms though i mean t we do look at things in bpms because when we're DJing now, it's like okay, that's that temp that that'll mix with that, and you try to mix an old record, an old rave record at one forty with a grime record. You got a new mix going on, you know what I mean? And it's like what this. And people are making grimy, bassy, yeah. technoy stuff at one hundred and fifteen that will mix yeah. into old boogie tracks. Yeah, now. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you can go in any direction. Yeah. It's um, you know, it's, it's an exciting time. It almost, I, I've got this kind of vague theory forming that for the first decade of this millennium, people didn't know what to do with too much information. Mm. It was all available. Suddenly the whole of the past was there. Anyone could dig out all the boogie and all the grime and all the right. what, drum and bass yeah, 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 yeah. that they it's wanted. Like overload of information. And it's now another 10 years later right. people are learning how to stitch it together or draw right, these different right, lines right. through it well it does take time you know what i mean and uh you can't force these things you know you might want things to happen then and there but you know sometimes you've got to give it 10 years to marinate 
and then it's truly ready to you know to be served up yeah so yeah making making tracks at different tempos has kept it interesting for us and also been able to fuse the different grooves you know so that rhymed fuse the grooves i like that <laughs> um fuse the grooves. so like the text machine tune was like 155 bpms you know um it wasn't grime but it had a grime kind of you know had that grime clap thing going on and but then we could put some more jungle influences into it as well so we'll continue to kind of you know flip things up on their head when they get boring and you've just recently done a compilation of your like classic die tracks and yes they still sound crisp as yes you like, yes so. yes yes um shout out to if khan um on management aka spiritual advisor you know <laughs> um transmit signal who basically came down to bristol uh i think three years ago and started working with gutter funk started uh, managing the label started managing me dismantle um he now manages a host of other people through transmit signal and he really was the glue that we needed. You know, I talked before about just sort of doing, trying to do everything, and not really getting anything done, you yeah. know. We just needed the right people in place to kind of, you know, to form the crew wholly, you know, and so everybody can do what they do best. Um, and really we go back into focusing on the music, which I think is easy to forget these days what it should actually all be about, yeah. you know. And we have so many distractions these days with social media, with other people's music, with the phone ringing, you know, your WhatsApp ringing. There's so many points of contact now. And I think really to get, get to the source, you have to kind of dive in deep, you know, so deep that you can't even hear the phone ring. <laughs> <laughs> and it it takes someone to, you know, mine the archive and pick the key things. Yeah, sorry, back to the archive. Yeah. So I'm going to go off tangents. No, no, no it's, it's relevant. It's but a, the archive thing was like, so If came on board and he was like, look, you know, one of the first things when we sat down, he's like, look, well, I want to do a compilation of your old stuff. And I, I was hesitant. I didn't want to do it because I was moving forward with this gutter funk thing. And I, although... Although people always want you to kind of do what they know you for, you know, you don't, you, you, when you hear a DJ premiere, you want a DJ premiere beat. But what about if premiere made some speed garage? You know, <laughs> what, do you remember when Todd Terry made, um, made his hip hop album? No, he made a jungle album, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. He made that tune Blackout and yeah. he came, he, he came in and dropped it. It was a bit like Piper, but it was sick, right? Yeah, yeah. And then he came to Bar Rumba and played De La Soul in his DJ set, which was kind of mad. But, you know, um, people don't usually want you to step, step aside away from what you're doing. They want you for what they know you for, when mm -hmm. you're the best. And it was like, look, I understand that, but I've got, a, I've got my own sort of, you know, journey to think about and i've got my happiness to think about more to the point here do you know what i mean yeah. so yeah getting around to doing that i was reluctant and um if was like look look we're gonna do it we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna do it properly we're gonna remind people of your your legacy and i was like okay okay cool and as we sort of went through all the dats and you know started to get the tracks together we managed to put together you know uh, a product we we're really proud of you know with a gatefold you know with a load of notes you know pictures of the equipment and um remasters of the tracks which you know we ended up getting joker to remaster who's now mastering the mixing mm -hmm. amongst other things <laughs> and um yeah he done a fantastic job updating them you know getting the getting the track sounding better than they've ever sounded before and it came out and the feedback was amazing and it was just what i needed really to kind of you know to help me to move on to put that in you know its place and also let people know in one body of work the sort of the legacy which had kind of been a little bit all over the place as and as it's natural because the drum and bass world for for all that it was sort of focused in insular it was also chaotic and chaotic, yeah, yeah 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 um, part of part of why we loved it you know but yeah. yeah to get it all back in and then have that come out followed by the all subject to vibes album which is all brand new stuff which really says what we're about today you know and in one body of, you know could show people the diverseness of the label and yeah yeah to use a horrible media phrase they definitely work as tent poles they they like those tent those poles, tent oh, poles the, yeah, you know they they, they yeah, sort yeah. of hold up the marquee right, which you can sort right. of demonstrate your yeah, wares yeah definitely um, no and it's been great as well you know I've, I've got a load of gigs off it and from being away from the drum and bass world to be invited back in to play some of the, the raves i've played you know to great response and you know to get that love for the stuff you've done it fills you with the positivity you need to to move forward Beautiful. I think that's a great note to end on. It's, I mean, you know, these are chaotic and often dark times, and it's so nice to see that things can be pieced back together. Yeah, we're and finding our way back home slowly, but you know, we're, and we're it's, definitely. It's done around the community values and the, the sound values and all of the stuff that the integrity you actually, behind it, you know, man. Because learned from scratching and 
skateboarding onwards. It's all the same thing, man. It just continues. And I think it's, it's important to remember that if you, if, you, if you find something that's working, you might not need to change it, you know. Or you might need to wait 10 years before it starts working again, but... <laughs> yeah, stick with it. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dave. It's been brilliant. Pleasure. Thank you for having me.